podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Big Strong Less Boys podcast, where we record this one about, well, probably less than an hour after the full-time whistle has just gone at Old Trafford, uh, Leicester losing uh, by three goals to nil. Still trying to kind of make out exactly how I feel about that performance, but obviously goes without saying, very disappointed with the result itself. We'll get the thoughts on uh, that game from the lads in a couple of moments' time. We've got Rick, we've got Jordan. And we've got Jack as well. And also, I need to let you know about some some guests which are joining us a little bit later on today here on the podcast. So uh, during the week, you may or may not have seen it uh, marked 20 years uh, since the football club was saved um, from administration by a group of businessmen. Uh, Gary Lineker was very much involved with that, um, as was a certain John Holmes, the father of Jack. And uh, he's going to join us a little bit later on, along with uh, James Johnson, who's also part of... Um, that team of, of people which helped save the club all them years ago. So that should be a really interesting one for you. We'll do that in about 20 minutes time. But before then, let's talk about the game then, shall we? Um, and as has come to be the usual uh, way into this podcast, we'll start with Jack. Because um, I want to get your thoughts on your dad coming on uh, very shortly, which is uh, should be really, really interesting. I'm genuinely really interested about that one. Um, but your thoughts on, on the game, first and foremost, 3-0. It only happened about... What, 40 minutes ago now? So it's all a little bit raw still, isn't it? It's still a bit raw. Uh, well, it was disappointing. I think um, having reflected on it a little bit, um, I've stopped throwing my toys out of my pram. Uh, it, it's, it's a game. I know we lost 3-0. I know we got battered in the second half. But I, it's one of those that we should we should at least get a point from or something from the game. I thought we played really well in the first half. And we looked really bright. But second half, we were just not at it and our um defense was as chaotic as my dad's entrance into the uh the <laughs> podcast so um so yeah but it, it's just really uh yeah just really disappointing we, we're losing too many games and we concede too many goals we still look bright going forward but it's it's the story of our season really so yeah just just a really really frustrating one again i thought man you were good but I, I thought the ref was terrible which i'm sure we'll talk about but it's just, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I should probably mention that the start of um, the podcast with that music as well, Video Killed the Radio Star, of course, alluding uh, to a couple of uh, VAR decisions which absolutely went against Leicester today and and no escaping whether you think they were the right ones or wrong ones um, has massively had a, had an influence on, on the outcome of, of the game. Um, the tackle or the challenge from Sabitzer on, on about Fez, um, they had a look at it and deemed it, it wasn't, a, a red card offence. I mean, it's incredibly high. I think the only thing is that maybe there wasn't that much contact. I mean, if you see some freeze frames, it it looks bad. But maybe in, in real time, they just don't think there was enough contact there. But that all being said, I think Leicester can absolutely have an argument to say that, that should have been a red card. And then, of course, the second goal, Marcus Rashford racing through. Castagna uh, puts his arm up. I think we all did the same thing. If we all kind of maybe sat back and thought, hey, you know, he's offside. And uh, we then uh, went through the, the usual VAR process and still looked offside. And then lo and behold, what we didn't see was was Valt, um on the other side of the pitch, just about playing him on. And, you know, when we were done so harshly or Harvey was done so harshly last week against Spurs um, with that offside de- de- decision, which obviously, you know, didn't have a, a bearing on the game because, because Leicester had won it. 
but today it did Jordan, you know, and, and up until that point, Leicester were massively in it. And it just felt that everyone's heads just completely went after that, that second goal. I mean, it's unprofessional and, you know, it's, it shouldn't have happened, but after that second goal, Leicester just looked a completely different team, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and I know we've been chatting in the WhatsApp group during the game. Um, I decided to play Sunday morning football today, uh, which was a good decision because we had 10 men and I got the winner towards the end. I thought I'd drop that in. Um feel a bit like Ric Flair because I'm drinking a, a Peretti as well. So I might be a little bit better crack today because I've had a few beers. But um, for me, the game just hinged on two terrible officiating decisions. Uh, the first one, Sabitzer, I mean... It, it, you're saying that the referee didn't see that. Well, he's five yards away. You know, he, he saw it for sure, yeah. So it's more palatable before VAR if the referee misses that and you could moan about it. But when there's VAR, these officials have got absolutely no excuse. And, you know, these officials have clearly never played the game at any level. Either that or they're either corrupt or inept, one of the two, if not both, which might be a bit harsh. But how anybody on a neutral persuasion can watch that and say that's not a red card is absolutely baffling. Um, you know, you go, you're saying it went to VAR. It's knee high, six studs in the leg. And yeah. let's not let's not kill ourselves. If that was Wout Fez, he'd be halfway down the M6 by half time. It's at Old Trafford. That's the only reason that they've not given a red card. And um, two minutes later, Fez gets booked for a, a tackle that's nowhere near as bad. And in the second half, Mendy gets booked. It's not even a foul. No, it's not. The Mendy it's not. challenge. Yeah. So, right, we're going at half-time 1-0 down. We were the better side for half an hour. Barnes probably should have scored. De Gea made a wonderful save at the back post. We might come on to the keeper, but that's what a world-class keeper does, keeps you in the game. Um, we're in the game at half-time. Now, the second goal... As, as a player, as a right-back, I know like people are saying Castagna, he's a bit lazy, he's got his arm in the air. It's, it's offside. The geezer, um, the, the liner is 20 yards away, looking across the line. His flag's up. He can see it with the naked eye, but you've got some bloke 300 miles away in Uxbridge pissing about on an etch sketch drawing <laughs> lines about on, on, on the pitch. And, and the Barnes one last week was no different. It was no different. They're making it up. They are mm. making it up as they go along. The, the Lino's got his flag up and they are going to VAR thinking, how can we get a goal here for Man United? In what way can we make it look like Rashford's onside? Because he's not. He's the wrong side of, of Castagna and they draw a line on Fez's shoulder and on Rashford's boot. It's not, it's not even level. Mm. Now, no. I, I admit after that goal, we, we were rubbish, right? Yeah. But until that goal goes in, we were the better team and we were well in the game. And sometimes, you, you, as a player, you just think, fuck it, we ain't getting anything here. And I, that, to me, is what happened. Dush yourself down and go again next week. Just get out of there. That's what it looked like to me. Um, and I, like I say, I just think the game hinged on two officiating decisions that we would never, ever have got the other way around. Mm, there is there's so much to go at here rick and um mate i'm sorry i haven't got any music i've just realized for today's no, episode sorry about that pal no okay. that's that's right isn't it? They, they don't deserve the music today but look on that first half performance um the first five minutes may i came flying out the traps and then for about 15 20 it was it was all esther you know and we, we had six or seven attempts and and then valt makes that mistake and united score and I just never really then 
think we, we we carried that that same threat. But ultimately, on the or overall on the on the balance of play, particularly in the first hour, probably we had as many chances as them, and you know we didn't take ours and and they took theirs. I mean, you know, you can complain about the decisions, and I think you know Jordan's right. You know, we have absolutely every right to, but at the same time, we need to look at ourselves as well and say, look, you know, we should have scored two goals in that first half, and and again, if we did, the game's completely different, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. Everything you say. The way I feel right now, and it's I was a bit worried about coming straight on here after a defeat because I'm not a man who takes uh, defeat for Leicester well. I'm usually very negative. I feel like I've been egged, which as a man, I feel like when someone lobs an egg at you, it's one of the most humiliating things. I'd rather Whatever be... happened to egging? Like, no one goes exactly. out egging anymore. Well, you say that, mate. About eight years ago, I was coming out the tube station at Parsons Green, right? <laughs> yeah. And I've been egged out of nowhere. It's just full hammered <laughs> me in the face, right? And that feels like what it's been like today. And what do you do? Because you're egged. You want to go wild, but you can't. I was just there, like, literally shaking my hand. That's how I feel like today, because first 30 minutes, unbelievable, weren't we? We were. To a man, we were unbelievable. But, yeah, we should have probably finished at least one of those chances. But I don't know. We're still vulnerable at the back. We our heads went down. There was a little bit of negative body language amongst a few of them as well afterwards, which is understandable. You know, the last two results are probably masked over a season of some some you know issues that we need to iron out. And I think we're going to have bumps in the road. So, yeah, as uh, Jordan says, we've got to dust ourselves down now because we've got a massive two weeks. Arsenal, we're going to be revved up next week. And then we've got Blackburn in the Cup. We can't afford to let our season get in jeopardy because of today. Mm. Uh, before we move on, I think we've all got questions about the egging, uh, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> what, so well, how long ago was this? Uh, well, I mean, I've been, I've been back living in Leicestershire from London since 2014. So we're talking 10 years ago. Um, right, and it was it was actually Valentine's Day, so remember. <laughs> what were you doing in Parsons Green? That's not an area I would. Well, so well, I used to live that way, but, but, yeah. but I didn't. So, not, not during this period, so you can't. Yeah, yeah. So I lived in Wimbledon, um, and it was one of those where signal failure. I had to get out at Parsons Green and go and look for a bus or walk home. And honestly, out of nowhere, from the Waitrose, someone has launched an egg at me. And it just hit me on the head. I'm obviously wearing glasses. There's egg coming down the glasses. And I'm fuming. But I've got no... Who can you be angry at? I'm literally turning around looking. And it's like that today with VAR or just Man United being spawny. Um, and us being crap. But, oh, yeah. So... It's a hot bag of egging around there. It is, green. mate. And I've been brought up on egging. You know, you went trick-or-treating <laughs> at Halloween. You know, good, honest egging. That's what you got things done. But, yeah. You don't expect it down in Parsons Green, do you? But you can never be too sure. Well, was, remember... this, was this not good, honest egging? Well, it was, but come on. It's a low blow. I didn't even see who egged me. I would have shook his hand or hit or her if she did it. But, you know, they, it was out of nowhere. Got me, blindsided me. I remember once, Rick, um, Valentine's, uh, Valentine's Day, Halloween, my mate moved out of the house around the corner. Yeah. Um, I've had a few horrors on Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, my mate moved out of this house and uh, we were playing football and one of the lads kicked it against his garage. The new bloke bowls out the house thinking, you know, I'll give these lads what for. 
you know, that ball hits my garage again, I'll stick a knife in it. Bad move, mate. It's Halloween next week. You're going to get egged to foot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, dear me, dear me. Um, Jack, just because I can see your dad now taking his, his seat once again um, for the next part of, of this podcast, before we do speak to your to your dad, John Holmes, the former chairman of, of Leicester City, uh, how are you feeling about him coming on? Uh, slightly nervous. Uh, yeah. Uh, particularly now after we've just spoken about egging for five minutes, which I don't was, think you uh, heard that bit. Not related. Can you hear us, Dad? You're on mute. We can get you off now. I've I've muted him. I can. You can tell you off mute. There we are. You're off mute. Can you hear us? I can. Oh, excellent. Good. How are you? Marvelous. Good. Mm. You looking after my dog? Dretched thing. Yes, just <laughs> been given a little bollocking. <laughs> <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, I mean, we might as well do this now then, shall we? So, Where um, is James? Um, James will we're appear. We're still waiting for James. Yeah, I'll yeah. message him. Mm. Well, no rush. Um, so, look, um, we are now joined by the, the former chairman of Leicester City, John Holmes, also the, the father of, of Jack. So, um, John, before we get stuck into the into the chat about your time um, you know, at the football club, how are you feeling about coming on this podcast today? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. I'm terrified, of course. What could you possibly be scared about? Well, I mean, who knows what Jack might say to embarrass his father or what I might say to embarrass him, more likely. <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of embarrassing, here's James. Uh, I thought you'd say that, Jack. <laughs> Are we marginally... I was loud, Christ. Yeah. Are we marginally disappointed at the moment? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, probably more so than marginally. James, we are live and recording, by the way. Welcome to the podcast. This Thank is uh, this is like how we like to do things, um, off the cuff. Um, so, look, we've got John Holmes and, and James Johnson now with us here on the podcast. So, as we mentioned at the start of it, uh, it's now 20 years uh, since the club um, well, came out of administration. And, and John and, and James were huge parts of that, along with uh, Gary Lineker all them years ago. And, yeah, I know we've got loads of questions about that. Um, I mean, the, the, the first one, really an obvious one for me, John, to go to you first was how on earth um, did you come about to, to be a part of that group? And and uh, yeah, what, what was that like at the time? It must have been incredibly surreal. Well, it was clear early in that uh, season that the club were in some kind of a mess in that I got a proposal mm, early in the season. Oh, they they were short of money. Would I consider some loan stock and so on and so on and to be honest given the people who were running the club at that point I wasn't absolutely very keen on that um, mistakes have been made earlier the decision to go public was pretty disastrous um, and a lot of nonsense was talked at that time and I think the finances got out of control then they had this sort of triple whammy they lost uh, Martin O'Neill, which at some point was going to be inevitable. Um, their recruitment process for a new manager uh, was a bit disastrous. They ended up with Peter Taylor, um, who was never going to work, to be honest, despite the fact they started fairly well and astonishingly went to the top of the league first time for ages and ages. Mm, yeah. But uh, I'd come across Taylor before. He was no kind of a manager. He was, you know, he was a sort of part-time Norman Wisdom uh, uh, impersonator. Uh, and uh, his ability to sign players, being as 
they got quite a bit of money for Heskey. Um, uh, they sort of frittered that away. Two players who were technically blind um, and several others who had no idea how to play. Uh, <laughs> added to that, they moved into the new stadium. Uh, the board were all squabbling with each other most of the time and ITV digital collapse. So it was pretty inevitable a few weeks later when they said they'd gone into administration. And at that point, Greg Clark approached me and he said he had this plan to put together a group of uh, local shareholders, nobody having a great majority, um, shareholdings you would need to put in between 100 and 250,000. We were going to raise five million, and would Gary be the um, sort of icon to lead this on? And uh, Gary and I had a chat, and uh, he said, "Yeah, but I can't do any work. You'll have to do the um, you'll have to do the work." I went back to uh, Greg and told him that would be the case. He was happy enough with that. Uh, the other Greg, Greg Dyke, gave Gary permission. To do it, he was uh, he, at that point. He was director general of the BBC, and we set about um, raising money and recruiting people. And then James came along, uh, which was a massive bonus because James said, "I will do the uh, legal work for nothing," and he worked for one of the Magic Circle for firms in the city. So that was a big bonus. Uh, I confess, my hope all the way along was that Mr. Big would emerge from somewhere and uh, say, no, I'm going to put in a bid and take the whole lot because I wasn't quite sure that we were ever going to raise enough money the other way. There were one or two people who technically could have done that. David Ross was one who'd made money out of the Carphone warehouse sale. He had a house in the county at Neville Holt. Um, uh, he was uh, he was from Grimsby originally. He he. I knew him quite well. He was quite friendly. We were quite friendly, but he wasn't that committed to football or to the idea, to be honest. Uh, David Wilson, uh, David Wilson Holmes was the other, um, and he wouldn't answer the phone to us. He wouldn't even answer the phone to Gary. So we gave that one up fairly quickly. So we set about collecting, you know, uh, dribs and drabs of money. Some people put in decent amounts. Um, and we got to about a million or so short of that. Um, one of the great moments of, of that, one of the best things was getting the call uh, from Emil Heskey to say that he would put the money in, which I thought was a fantastic yeah. gesture from a really nice lad who was a Leicester boy, wasn't a Leicester supporter, never was, unfortunately. Uh, victim of the television age, he was a Liverpool supporter. But anyway, the fact that he was prepared to put money in was great. We had one or two others who put money in, and we got the four million. And Greg said, oh, "We can just about um, uh, do that." I'll talk to the um, uh, administrator. Um, we'd been plagued all the time by the prospect of. Uh, one or two of the former directors in the shape of Roy Parker and Gilbert Kinch uh, trying to buy the club. I knew from experience of them that that would have been a total disaster. And that made me fairly keen that uh, 
we got over the line. And um, during these discussions, I said, this is all very well, but who's going to be chairman? Uh, and Greg Clark said, well, we think you should be. Now, I'd never wanted to be a, a football club chairman. I'd, never, I'd been offered, ironically, the post of CEO a long time before that, when Trevor Bennett tried to take the club over. I, I, he failed in his takeover, which saved me the turning Trevor down. But uh, So we ended up where we were. But we were never really, to get a football club really well up and running, you have to have a harmonious team. You have to have the football side and the administration side working together, uh, you know, to cliche singing off the same hymn sheet. And we didn't. Uh, in retrospect, we made one or two mistakes. I made one or two mistakes. Uh, although we got up and uh, Mickey Adams and Dave Bassett were working together then, and it did well. Uh, and then we didn't have a director of recruitment, which we should have done. Uh, but we probably couldn't afford one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Bassett bought some defenders who uh, who were people who couldn't defend. And um, although he bought some attackers who definitely could attack. And we were un unlucky to go down. Actually. We had three players up front, scored uh, scored uh, 10 goals when we did get up front. But we, in the first place, got promoted, which was excellent. And... Um, I took that as an opportunity to say, right, I'm the most successful chairman in the club's history. I've only lost one game, and that was ridiculous, losing it in the ninth minute of stoppage time when they'd only been signalled about three. So I'll um, I'll jump off the side. Um, I, I thought you might mention that, Dad. Uh, <laughs> you mention it quite so often. Early. Yeah, no, James. Uh, and. I've not. I don't really. I haven't really spoken to you about this, James. But your role as legal, uh, I, I don't actually know what your title was when you were on the board. Presumably, you had a more grand title than legal person. I, I uh, presume, but you got involved in some quite interesting stuff during that time. Well, we had, I presume. Well, we had all all sorts of interesting stuff. So yeah, I, I, I sort of when I got involved. I, I was a banking partner at Clifford Chance, and I sent was. Basically, I wrote to Greg on a Friday and Greg was in my office on the Tuesday and told me what was going on and then invited him up to um, Leicester to meet with John and um, Tim Davis, who'd literally written in as an accountant as well. Um, so we set the whole thing up. Um, it was it was a, the, the fundraising. It was it was quite funny because John said we struggled. And it was um, just after the dot com crash. People didn't have the money so we we needed i think to raise i think it was six million in the end and we were struggling 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 um and and things went with the form it was literally like a, one critical game in all was reading away um if we didn't if we won it would look like promotion was you know favorite there we, you know, we would probably get promoted but if we lost we suddenly went into the also ran category and the fundraising was at a very tricky level and fortunately, we won 3-1. And actually, on the way home at Reading Platform, I managed to get 25 grand off um, one Leicester, lucky Leicester City supporter. <laughs> in the euphoric moment, <laughs> stuck his hand up. So, so that was it. So we, we, we're putting it together. And then, as John said, one of the funniest ones was, you, know, you had Kinch and Parker, who were supposedly putting together this rival consortium. But then I was tipped off. But somebody said to me, um, you don't need to worry about that. Gilbert Kinch has fallen for one of these Nigerian scams. 
and Kinch, Kinch had Kinch's coach, a very respectable Leicester company. But if you remember those scans, there were emails where, you know, the grammar was appalling, the spelling was reported, and they invited you to make some sort of investment somewhere. Well, anyway, he gave them unbelievably £2 million. <laughs> so that absolutely scuppered their bid, whatever else they were thinking. So we went on, and we had some, you know, it, it, we went on and on, and then... It was a very funny one, actually, two weeks after we were into it. In my real day job, I was invited to do a, a small dinner at HSBC by their restructuring group. And blow me, there was about 12 of us invited, but one of the others was Nick Dargan, the administrator, by pure chance. So we got in there and got to know him. And Nick, despite being a Man U fan, was extraordinarily helpful. And I'm sorry to say that today, obviously. But um, so we went on and and... but. It wasn't all plain sailing. As John said, we ended up short. We were granted exclusivity on the day of the Millwall game. And one of the great things was that Millwall's fans had been misbehaving yet again. So if you remember, they were banned from all away grounds that season. So when the announcement was made, the whole stadium was absolutely packed full of Leicester. Nobody else. And it was wonderful. It was a little unfortunate when Steve Claridge put them up one up after five minutes, but we won for one. It was an euphoric day. But unfortunately for us doing it, every at that point assumed we were there and we weren't. And the club was still losing money. And we, we basically had to do a deal with teachers who were the mortgagee of the stadium, but effectively owned it. And we had to get their debt down and everything. But we would continue to negotiate, but the, the, the club was running out of money. And so just before Christmas, we needed, I think it was £750,000. And there's no guarantee we were going to come out. Well, teachers stumped up 500000 And then the five of us, so John, Gary, Greg, Tim and me, st stumped up 50 each to put in. And that kept the club going over Christmas. And, you know, we were going on and on, but we still had to agree to deal with teachers. And we, had, we basically were going to run out of cash first thing in the new year and I, anyway i remember being at work on new year's eve and at eight o'clock on new year's eve i agreed the deal with teachers to write down their debt and at that point was safe and i went straight up to my local i was in london and i got in the car drove up to barkby where i come from and met my brother and my mates in the pub to celebrate new year's eve and give them the good news and it was just wonderful <laughs> I think James lived in a different world to the rest of us. You know, he talks about the dot-com boom. We got money from people who made pies and people who sold, you know, sold milk. I don't got our best there weren't one. Many, there no, weren't no, many, wasn't very high-tech. No, John, the really. best one was we were king of the hauliers, weren't we? We had all the hauliers. Yep. The we were very generous. basic tradesmen from Leicester. Yeah, and I will say one of the great things for me, I met so many wonderful people through it. There's a whole load there who stumped up and you got to know them. And they were really great people. Most of them, absolute passionate Leicester fans. One or two weren't, one or two coming in for the ride. Um, you know, and then I just remembered, and then we had the directors. And it was, um, do you remember Peter Hockenhall? Yeah. And it, 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 he put in 100,000, to be fair to him. And... Um, he um he said he said look you know I'll, I want to be a director I want to be a director and and anyway we said no no you can't ask that can't and in the end we said look to get his money you're going but he did come up 
with one of the funniest lines I've ever heard when we played Chelsea away. And it was at Bramages' first home game. Now, Peter Hockenall at the time owned six petrol stations in Leicestershire. And anyway, he somehow got to a Bramwich in the boardroom at Chelsea and through the interpreters, he went up to him and he said, hello, my name's Peter Hockenhall. I believe we're in the same line of business. He had six petrol stations in Leicestershire and Bramwich had got no sport. Yeah, I think um, he hadn't, uh, neither had Hockenhall got the assets of an entire region which he raped, but that's no, uh, no, another but matter. It was his high point. <laughs> Sorry, I it's, um, <laughs> it's really interesting to hear this because I remember when I was uh, well, I was similar age to Jack. Um, grew up in the Premier League years under O'Neill, and uh, I remember my dad used to say, "You know, this is as good as it gets, as good as it gets." And then we got the new ground, and I was thinking, "Oh, bloody hell, we're we're massive, we are." Okay. Um, and obviously, we would go down and come straight back up, and then went went back down. But obviously, after. Um, just losing to United, it, it can't, it's kind of a bit humbling, really. It brings me back down to earth a little bit. Um, but I was just wondering about all these um, owners in the Premier League now. Obviously, you've got the Qataris looking at United. Um, Americans just got Chelsea. Just what you think to all the, all the, the swathes of money now in the, in the Prem. And, you know, it, I think just purely because of the past and, you know, when you guys were there, like little old Leicester still still competing and still winning trophies, how much of an achievement that, that really is. And obviously the ties have been absolutely fantastic for us at King Power. Well, it was, uh, we were, in a sense, as I say, I was hoping that Mr Big would come along. Um, he didn't, uh, clearly. Uh, maybe because we set out, maybe because I, we only looked in the English market. This was Greg's plan, which we stuck to. And, you know, I do well. I thought it was a nice way to run a football club, to have it uh, sort of locally controlled and so on. It's the way Leicester had always been. I think the sad thing was, you see, Leicester overperformed for a long period uh, during their history. But um, uh, after the war, they did do okay. really. They came back. They were controlled by several fairly shrewd businessmen. And then as it, time went on, the shrewd businessmen handed their businesses and their roles onto their not-so-shrewd offspring um, or a new generation. Um, Sid Needham was second generation anyway, and he wasn't. I mean, Sid was a nice bloke, but not very good, chiefly remembered for when the, when the FA Cup draw was taken. He dropped all the balls on the floor, live on, on the draw. Um, Terry was not Terry Shipman was not as shrewd I don't think as his dad um, Alf Pallet had no heir um, uh, Tom Bloor again he his son wasn't interested was interested went on and off but in the end wasn't that interested Dennis Sharp didn't have uh, an heir who was very good so the old families sort of they tried to hang on to the club bring the odd new people in, but they all had to come in on their terms. Nobody got control. Um, Colin McLeod, who was quite shrewd, I think probably, but didn't understand football, came in, left fairly quickly. Bill Page just wanted the prestige of the whole thing, and I never thought he was that clever. And uh, 
Martin George came on, but Martin George didn't have the money uh, that he has now. One of the possibly the mistakes that uh, I made was I sacked Martin George off the board um, when I took over. Well, just after I took over, uh, the reason for that was that Martin was very unpopular with the staff and was had a very domineering manner. And the other board members, I felt, would never get a word in. <laughs> in some cases, that would have been a decided bonus. Um, uh, but he didn't actually, at that point, have the money he had today. And about two, three years later, I can remember him saying to me, in the boardroom, oh, uh, you were you were silly to turn away. Now I've got all this money because he he inherited a lot, um, and then he made a great. He's been very very successful in his milling business, so he would now have the assets that could have taken us onto a different level at that point. And actually, he was not a bad chairman. His problem was that Martin had been thwarted in his own family business by his, his brother was very clever his brother invented Weetabix and actually his brother got him kicked off the family board uh which was a big blow to Martin for his um, self-esteem and so on so it's all about personalities and families and things that go wrong and we didn't have the chemistry off the pitch or on the pitch uh together to make it go right and of course after a time it broke down um, we were yeah. unlucky when we got up. Uh, Say so we didn't really have a defence. Dabby's ass was signed later on and was probably the best of the centre-backs. We we got Matt Elliott and all that generation target and uh, while she had gone. So uh, we were struggling to that degree. John, I've got a question for you, if you don't mind. I mean, fascinating what you're saying. I could probably listen to you all day on this. But um, that era... Another one of the reasons that we're all told about that we ended up in his administration was after the Dennis Wise debacle uh, and that horrendous agent Eric Hall with his monster monster catchphrase. Have you got any anecdotes to tell us about Eric? Yeah, well, you've probably been tipped off about this. The first night I was chairman, I went into the boardroom and I think it was Tony Lander who would never take any responsibility for anything himself. But he came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, have you seen who's over there? And it was Eric Hall, who I probably knew a little bit. He was an idiot. I'd once told him to shut up on the radio, on Radio 5 before when he was talking nonsense. So I went over and said, Eric, uh, I'm sorry, but you're barred. Now, uh, now please go away. Uh, you're not allowed in the, this room and so on. Um, and he said, um, who are you to say that? I said, I'm the chairman. So he said... Uh, how long have you been that? I said, one day. Now, fuck off. <laughs> Superb. And he got escorted uh, into the thing. If I'd been really cruel, I'd have put him in the middle of the Leicester crowd. But apparently, I don't know what they did with him. He wasn't that interested in football anyway, so he probably went home to Essex. But, uh, but that followed on from Dennis Wise being one of the greatest cash flow savings at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, fortunately, he went and uh, following a pre-season do, he um, he attacked Callum Davidson in bed after he lost at cards to him. Uh, Callum Davidson, who was heavily, he was very, he was another one who didn't have great eyesight, actually. Uh, we seemed to specialise in signing them at that point. <laughs> um, 
And um, anyway, um, he wore contact lenses though and was slightly better than um, than Akinbai, who, who didn't drive because he couldn't pass the eyesight driving test. Um, and uh, as a result, we were able to sack Dennis Wise without compensation. Yeah, he was basically the nice Dennis Wise. He basically thumped Callum Davison in the head while Davis was in bed, put, broke his jaw, put him out for six weeks. At the time, Dennis Wise was on a million quid a year and his contract just got ripped up. And it was the administrator who did that. It was before we came yeah, on. Yeah. But, but uh, it, it represented money we didn't have to find. Which So it was a true cash flow saving. So, you know, thank you, Dennis. It's about the only thing we can thank you for. Is, is that right? Because, I, I mean, my memory might be a bit hazy, but I think there's been some misinformation over the years that one of the reasons we ended up in administration as well was because Eric Hall was owed money and he sort nah. of wouldn't. No, no, is that no, not, not, not at all. Not at all. They tried okay. to bring, they tried to get a claim saying that Wise hadn't had due process, which was completely farcical. You know, if that, that was on a Swedish pre-season tour, if it wasn't there and it happened here, Dennis Rice would have ended up being jailed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's as simple as it is. Speaking of overseas tours and players ah. ending up in jail, <laughs> James, is there is there any sort of lines or anecdotes you can share with us from from La Manga that we might not have yeah. how necessarily I, have heard? How did I know you were going to bring this one up, Jack? Yeah, well, we obviously, you know, in the first season in the Premier League, um, we had this break in La Manga, and I was sitting at my desk and suddenly Tim Davis was on the phone and saying, we've got problems, etc. I'm going out there. So they went, he went out there, find out what it is. And then it came out, there was these three girls who were alleging, I say alleging, that our players had misbehaved with them and everything. And so Tim said, can you sort of take control of looking into it? And I said, all right, okay. I said, first thing is, we're going to have to sit each player down and get the truth off them. And you have to tell them, they have to tell us the old legal phrase, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And also tell them, if we find that they have subsequently lied in any respect, their contract will be ripped up, and that's likely to be the least of their problems. And they all did, and they all gave accounts. And to be fair to them, and then, sorry, I should say then, then, of course, these three girls were interviewed by the police, and we get their witness statements, but those are in Spanish. Now, rather fortuitously, in my group at work, I had a lovely girl who was a secondee from the Madrid office. And wasn't, she wasn't that busy at the time. So I said to her, I said, look, could you possibly translate these for me? I said, if you see anything, read anything you don't like or upsets you, whatever, just give them straight back to me. But I said, if you do that, um, I, I'll, I'll buy you and your husband dinner. Anyway, she did it for me. I will say the Spanish obviously eat at very expensive restaurants because I nearly went broke over that dinner, the things you do for Leicester City. But we got, I've got all the statements. I've got the players, I've got the, 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 the girl statements. And there was not a single crime committed by any of those Leicester players. In fact, the only crime that could have been committed was by one of the girls who assaulted Paul Dickoff by trying to rip off his bracelet. There was so much misidentification as well. Poor old James Scowcroft had been in his bedroom and he'd, he'd phoned his wife late at night 
yet he was identified as one of the people who had to spend a night in a police cell. And eventually the hotel records showed that, you know, he 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 was in his hotel room. But as I say, there was no nothing criminal. It was a bizarre thing. I, my own theory, and I think it's better, and it won't surprise you, it was a complete news of the world setup. Um, funny enough, my in-laws at the time had a place in La Manga, and they knew an, a guy, a news of world reporter, who was never there other than in the summer. But suddenly he was there in La Manga, and there was other things. The girls, amazingly, the girls' rooms were on the same floor as our players. Now, you know, how how did that happen? And, you know, there were things done that you would say were stupid, but not illegal or anything. You know, one player had something to explain to his wife. One probably had something to explain to his teammates. But they did nothing wrong. But, of course, it got to people. And poor old Mickey Adams, it really got to. He was there fending it all off. And, you know, I think that was the start of the end for Mickey. He was a really decent bloke. But after that, you know, he, he found the pressures a lot. And as we know, he ended up, he basically, it was, he was a true resignation, I think, in November of that year. But it was, you know, it, it was not what it was portrayed at. The funniest one was, to tell you this one, so I, I, I normally just buy the times. And anyway, the, the shop at the end of my road, Mrs. Patel ran it. And suddenly I was going in and buying all the tabloids and everything every day. And this was literally every day. And then suddenly she tapped me on the shoulder one morning and said, James, you just buy the Times, go and take the others over by the freezer, read them there, just put them back, and that'll be all right. And it was fantastic. James has uh, what you might call uh, uh, the innocent view of this. Um, uh, I'd heard about it probably the night before James did, in that Paul Mace rang me and said, uh, I'd cease to be a director at this point, but the... Uh, Jim McCahill had disappeared. We never knew where he went. He didn't emerge till uh, till the whole thing was over. He rang me up and said, we're in trouble. The players are in La Manga. I said, what the, are they doing out there? And he said, oh, well, the, the, Mickey decided to give them a break because we'd had a previous incident in La Manga when Martin O'Neill, in probably one of the worst mistakes of his career, put John Robertson in charge of a... Um, who can run a piss up in a brewery? Um, in charge of a uh, and Stan Collymore let off a fire extinguisher and God knows what. I mean, the choice of La Manga as a place to go was pretty stupid. We were bottom of the league. Um, there was yeah, not massive disenchantment, but the players weren't. You know, they if you're bottom of the league, send them off on a on a jolly. You you may do that. But it Hold shouldn't on. be a jolly. It should be. We beat, Birmingham. we beat Birmingham 1 0 after going to the manga. You can't well, that. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you why we did that. When, when we, uh, uh, and anyway, I, I found out from Paul Mace, Greg Clark was around. He was in the country. He'd sadly left after, you know, setting up this deal. He left to work in Australia, but he was around that week. Um, Tim Davis said, oh, they're all innocent, they're all innocent. I said, nobody is up at two in the morning messing about with um, with brass is, um, is uh, uh, innocent in this case. It will look terrible, which it did, and the fans will not like it, which they didn't. And Tim said, oh, we'll stay out here and get it sorted. I said, no, you won't. You'll get them on the first plane home and we'll get an apology uh, from the players for them behaving 
as they did, which was get, you can't do, be, you can't behave like that. And Mickey rang me up. He was obviously disconsolate about the whole thing. I said, what were you doing? Letting them out at two in the morning. He said, I trusted them. Well, you know, 20, 20, 20 year old men who've got wads of cash in their pockets on a jolly in Spain with each other, they're not going to behave terribly well unless you give them really set rules. So the players did come back. The next bit was uh, uh, the manager, uh, Tim Davis, said, no one's going to apologise. So I said, right, get me Dave Bassett on the phone, uh, who's the director of football by this point. Dave, uh, Dave was no nonsense. I, I like Dave and he was a good director of football. Uh, Dave came on the phone and said, what do you think, John? What do you think? So I said, right, I'll tell you what I think. Unless you get one of the players to apologise within an hour, I'm taking my money out and I'll get a load of other people out and you'll be all out of a job and bottom of the division. And within an hour, he got Les Ferdinand to apologise. And yes, they did win on the Saturday, which was a reaction and was good, but we weren't good enough to stay up. The defence was not quite good enough, I'm afraid. I have to say, I always thought it was down to John Curtis. It was the, it was obviously Wolves away, Middlesbrough away, and Tottenham at home. The eight points that would have saved us. I he feel was... like you could have given away Rick's. Who are you now, John Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> one of my questions to James and John was going to be: how, which, which one affected you more, the Wolves debacle or the? Um, the Middlesbrough one, I completely forgot about Spurs. But, yeah, that John Curtis... Okay, okay. Well, okay, I have a unique take on Wolves. Because when I said my in-laws, my mother-in-law was Rachel Hayo Flint, who was on the board at Wolves. So right. uh, we were in the boardroom. At half-time, she wouldn't speak to me. At full-time, I wouldn't speak to her. <laughs> <laughs> we got a point at Middlesbrough, actually, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, we lost at Wolves. And, yeah. I mean, that was a dreadful result. We yeah. were ahead, a bit like the beginning of this season, funnily enough, in a lot of games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And couldn't hold on to it because the defence wasn't good enough. A bit similar again to uh, this season. It was funny that, you know, you know the step up in the first two games, I saw it, because, you know, Southampton at home, we went 2-0 up, brilliant Les Ferdinand header, if you remember. But then Kevin, Kevin Phillips came with that 35-yard rocket, and it was just, he thought, the quality of that. And then at Chelsea, we went, James Scowcroft put us one up, and we gave away this free kick, and then Mutu took it, and he hit, he took it with his right foot, hit the wall, came back to it, he followed it straight in with his left. And I thought, crikey, what a a standard. (laughs) Um, John, um, bringing it back to kind of where we're at right now, I want to get your take on the current ownership and also the current manager as well, Brendan Rodgers. Um, But we'll start with the ownership, of course. I mean, it's it's obviously something you're probably uh, best placed to speak about. What have you made of of their, their tenure overall? Well, we're very fortunate, aren't we, to have... I confess I we knew nothing about them in the first place I was a bit worried since they seemed incredibly naive uh they had one or two people at the club who I would deem dodgy Terry Robinson um got a bad write-up from uh, people within the game that I trusted uh and um 
David Richards, who got a bad write-up from everyone. Um, I, I think Susan Whelan was obviously a very good appointment. She didn't know anything about the game when she came in. She'll admit that. But she's very smart. And she, uh, in fact, stabilised it from that point of view. Um, and then one of the best things, obviously the best thing that Mandrick did was he made the appointment of Nigel Pearson. I was not actually at that point very... Um, very keen on. I thought mm, we maybe could have done better, but he appointed Nigel Pearson. Then, actually, in an attempt to sell it, he he, he sacked Nigel Pearson bizarrely uh, and bought in uh, Ericsson as he thought that would appeal to the ties as being. I don't know. He, he bought uh, in as someone who yeah. he thought would uh, sell the club uh, better to a foreign owner. Susa actually who's been a. a reasonably successful abroad as a as a manager but um, he was a nice bloke but he wasn't Nigel Nigel should never have been dismissed at that point uh, we struggled a bit uh, Sousa didn't last very long we bought in Ericsson who uh, to start with spent money like water um, never really I it never impressed me as a manager in the Premier League really and um, uh, <laughs> A bit of a sort of one of these characters who's a bit of myth about him. He'd done well in Italy in his early uh, career and Monaco, but he never did uh, much good in England, really. Um, unfortunately, then through the efforts of uh, Alan Burchinell, we got uh, we got uh, Nigel Pearson and his team. His team were critical. He had Steve Walsh, who was possibly one of the best recruiters we've ever had. Uh, and Craig Shakespeare was a good coach. They got on well together. They worked really well as a team in terms of recruiting people. They made some fabulous signings, if you think about it. You know, they recruited Vardy for, for a million quid. They recruited Mark Albright for nothing. They recruit, uh, recruited Fuchs for nothing. They recruited Kante for about four million. Uh, they recruited Huth. They made some terrific Mares who uh, Steve Walsh went to watch and was told to watch somebody else, but thought, no, this player's the right player. So they made some fabulous signings. They worked in harmony. And it all went, uh, it all went as we know, uh, really well. Um, Terry Robinson, Susan had the nous to get rid of him um, or persuade Vishai to get rid of him. David Richards went soon afterwards. Um and um, the form picked up from there. And, of course, you know, the Great Escape and uh, uh, whatever they did, it was an amazing story. It was, it was something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. No, of course not. I mean, you've obviously then seen lots of managers come and go as well during that time. I'm curious, John, if you had been on the, the board of directors or the, the chairman at the time, what would you have done with Brendan Rodgers this season? Would he still be in employment? I'd have kept him, yeah, of course yeah. No, I mean, he is on paper and in terms of trophies as successful as anyone we've ever had. Mm. If you think about it, I mean, look at the, what's going on at the bottom. I mean, Southampton sat one person. They want to appoint Jesse March. Why on earth would you want to appoint someone who's got Leeds in a mess? And and Everton, who've gone through all sorts of managerial changes, bring Sean Dyche from Frank Lampard. Talk about change of style. Crikey. Um, 
then you get assistants who do well for a couple of games and freak results yesterday. I mean, Bournemouth have done <clears throat> really very little under Gary O'Neill, get a result and Southampton do. So it's still tight. I mean, the, it, Potter, who everybody said, and if you'd have, um, if Brendan would have gone, most people said, oh, we'll get Graham Potter. Well, he's, I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? He's hardly won a game since he's gone to Chelsea. And Fafana has gone there. And I mean, he's not had a decent game for Chelsea. He's been injured, but he's not had a decent game. I've got one final question, but I can leave it to the end. I'm just fascinated to ask John one final thing. It's nothing to do with the current subject. Go on, Rick. Just just because I'm conscious, just because I'm conscious, James hasn't got a word in edgeways yet. Well, I'm, just, I'm used to I'm used to that with your father, Jack. So I, I, it's all I right. Just, I was just going to ask, what would you have done, James, as Mister Positivity? What now? Would you I, have, I, would you have sacked Brandon? No, I'm, I'm exactly in the same same place. No, I think he is a good manager. Um, I don't quite know what went on over the summer because, well, obviously, not enough went on. Um, I just, if I was with him now, I'd just say, Brendan, you just, at some points during the last few months, you've talked more of yourself and the club have been separate entities. And, you know, we're in this together and everything. And what I really hope now is that he remembers Top's loyalty to him. And, I, you know, and I, we know he's very well paid. I think all of us here know pretty much exactly what, what he's paid. <laughs> so he's set up for life. We can safely say that. At that point, you know, Top has been very good to you. You now be good to top. Well, I think he has been because he could have gone yeah. previously. And to be honest, I don't blame football managers. In, in the current uh, circumstances, they have to look after themselves. It's very rare that when there's a bad run, the chief executive or the owner comes out. It's always the manager. It's always the manager straight after the game. I would ne I never spoke to Mickey Adams straight after a game. Because to be honest, they're too emotional and it's very difficult. And he has to look after himself. He, there is no doubt that a lot of people would have. And if you talk to people from uh, other clubs, they would love to have him as manager. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. listen, would you sack Jurgen Klopp? Would you sack Graham Potter yeah. uh, at the moment? There'll be a lot at those clubs. I mean, people wanted to sack Arteta uh, the beginning of last season. Sometimes you have to decide. I would have, I mean, I don't think James would have ever sacked anyone as manager. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was party, party to sacking Craig Levine, thank you very much. <laughs> I, curiously enough, I felt that Craig Levine... Was, I think you were also was, party to appointing him, James, to be fair. I, I was, I, I, hands up on both counts, yes. <laughs> I, I think the problem with Craig Levine is, as I've said, Craig Levine was had undoubtedly got a good record yeah. in Scotland when he came. He never matched in England. And uh, Dave Bassett had been given the impression by Tim Davies that he was going to get the job, which Tim Davies was in no position to do that. And he shouldn't have done that. Um, and uh, in consequence, Dave Bassett stomped off. So you'd got Craig Levine left without any experience from the English game other than Rob Kelly. Nice bloke, probably not strong enough, probably not ruthless enough, no director of football. And he brought down players from Scotland 
And we all know if you bring players down from Scotland, <laughs> you've got to be very, very sure. He mm. brought down some players who looked good in Scotland, but boy, did they look rubbish. They had, there, there was a winger came. He was about two foot tall. Hamill. Great. Oh, yeah. couldn't even touch we had him. On, we had him on Who Are You the other week. Yeah. We all, oh, we all remembered him, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always thought Craig Levine looked like a real, obviously budget Scottish version of Clark Kent, didn't he? Oh, Superman with the glasses. In. Yes. And to be honest, it was about as good as him in the end, but um, without <laughs> any superpowers. But he was Craig was um, I, you know, I like, but he was unbelievably arrogant. And I remember towards the end, you know, we'd lost seven on the trot, and I said, "Look, something has to change, Craig, and you have the first chance to change it." But, you know, mm. you have to do it. And I sat there with Rob Kelly. And, then, you know, Rob eventually took over. And, and Rob is a very decent bloke. And, you know, and he saved us from going down, um, which was the great thing. Because one of the things, when you're on the board, you know, at that time, the proudest record we had is we'd never be below the top two divisions. And I just couldn't countenance myself being on the board with us going down. I had sleepless nights about it, you know, because it was looking iffy at points but we turned around and by the way a feather somebody we mentioned previously martin george when rob was there and it was looking dicey martin he has he's a he's a funny fish but he knows football and i just talked to him religiously he used to go down the training ground and they probably didn't like seeing him all the time but what he came back to me and he said james he said he has the players we're going to be safe the players are with him and it was critical and martin knew this and and it it, it, you know, I listened to my, I listened to John as well. You don't have any cho- choice but to listen to John. But yeah, I actually sort sort out Martin on this, and he was a great help. And he really, really does know football. Over the years, Leicester City's owned Martin George a lot. Can I ask John one final question then? Yes, mate. Before I let the, the let these busy men get on with their their Sundays. So, John. I, I, I mean, Gary Lineker is my all-time hero. And obviously, when I found out that with Jack and you, I was like, oh, brilliant. The only reason why I'm on the podcast, I could ask. But um, <laughs> You want some crisps? <laughs> well, no, no. But I before the 1990 World Cup, I did not like football. I was like six or seven. I used to, me, only thing I used to like back then were them horrible little hamsters, them Sylvanian families. But um, I got into... <laughs> I got into football, and my question is, was there ever even an inkling that Gary could have come back for a swan song season? I know we were a bit, you no. know, we didn't have them, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing. What, even after Grandpa's eight, when he was... Well, he, was, he, was bit, he never played again after Grandpa's no, eight. His, oh. his toe had gone. Um, we were pretty sure when he went to Japan that he had said to me, ah, you know, it's, um, I'm not sure, I can't, I certainly can't play for England and I'm going to be struggling Premier League. This, uh, he got a bad injury. The surgeon in London did the wrong operation uh, on his toe and he actually uh, virtually never played in Japan. And uh, there was no doubt we knew from about, uh, you know, probably six months before he finished, they kept doing operations and so on. But we knew it had, uh, it was up and we were planning the career in broadcasting at that point. Um, I did get to him was, a testimonial. He didn't even put a shirt on back in back. Yeah, before, yeah. that was what caused us a bit of problem that because he'd sworn blind he wouldn't play again. And then Gordon oh, really? tried to persuade him and so on and so on. And, uh, you know, 
it was it, uh, it he's he's virtually he's not played a lot of cricket since then because he's he used to be wicket keeper bat but he, oh. he struggles to take off your big toe is your taking off uh, yeah. uh impulse and he's on his right foot mm. i bet he not get around the snooker table very swiftly either will he with a big toe no, well, you know, he could get round that. He played a lot of golf. He's a good golfer. Yeah, he's a very good golfer. But, yeah, he is. But um, Gary has, with games, I don't think he played snooker for Yonks, and he oh. gave up golf a few years ago. Um, he has a sort of, I, I know what he means because I'm, I'm nowhere near. I'm not even within a breath of being at that level of sportsman. But I understand. Uh, with people who achieve, get to a certain level and then say, I'm not going to get any better. I'm going to do the next thing. Mm. He said he's why you gave up golf, Dad. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Is that why you gave up golf? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still waiting for the next thing. <laughs> well, Lineker said his best break was 135 on Twitter wow. last week. Um, yeah. I'll I'll be going down the club later to play a few shots, and my best break's about twenty three. <laughs> so. He was seriously a good player. Uh, mm. He was a seriously good cricketer as well. I mean, it, I can remember talking to him quite when he was quite young, because uh, I always talked to the players about what they were going to do when they finished off, and uh, I can remember saying to him, "What would you have done if you hadn't been a footballer?" And he said. Uh, I'd have been a cricketer, which I thought I was quite quick. So I said, okay, smart ass, what if I've broken both your legs? And he said, mm, he said, I'd like to be in a, uh, a sports journalist, but I can't do that. And I said, why? Why do you think you couldn't do that? I said, he said, because I'm not trained. I said, listen, I was a journalist once. I'll tell you, the, the, the only training you get is how to fiddle your expenses. That's it. <laughs> Ask any journalist of the era I grew up in, that was it. Brilliant. Right, have we got any more, lads? No, are we all done? No, we're all um, good. Well, just then one last one from me for, for, for both of you, really. Obviously, you know, both Leicester fans and, and still go to this day every every week to to watch the football club. I mean, listen to you both talk about um the club and, and your time there. It's obviously it's nice, isn't it, doing nostalgia stuff. Um did you enjoy it at the time or do you enjoy it more now talking about the old times? Do you mean what do you mean when sort of we're on the board or or when, when, when Mandrich threw you out of the ground? Oh yes I was banned by Mandrich. <laughs> I made a reference one night to the totalitarian regime and he didn't seem to like it. <laughs> and, but it was quite an easy fix because I just walked around the other side of the ground and got in. But it was, it was, it was all right. Um, I found the book, I have to say, my big, it was nothing being a fan. It, being on the board just added to the pressures. And as I said, I had sleepless nights about us looking like we're going to be relegated to what is truly division three. Yeah. Um, that, that was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that at all. You know, the responsibility weighs on you. We're never being there. Um, you know, so that I'm much enjoying the fact. Anyway, we've just had the most unbelievable time recently, but I love the old days. I, I love that. You couldn't enjoy this without having the bit that went 
before. It all builds up. We've all got our own histories with it. And it is. And it's so, yeah, I would have said, I'm not queuing up to go on the board again. Let's put it that way. (laughs) It's a a horrible job, uh, actually. Um, It spoils your enjoyment. Uh, It was always, you know, my great pastime. It's, you know, uh, it's always been part of my life since I was seven years old. So 65 years, you know, three cup finals in the 1960s when we were pretty good side in those days. And uh, then in the 70s, we we're not a bad side for a spell under, under Bloomfield. Um, and then we had the O'Neill years and we won won the League Cup twice, crikey. And I thought that was fantastic. And I thought that was about as far as we're going to get. And then uh, the 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 second of those occasions, um, there were three generations of my family. My father was still alive then, and Jack and I sat together, and Gary and his father, and one or two of his boys. Can you remember, Jack? Was it? Yeah, I think. All sat together, and you know that was a Harry, great moment. Harry and George, no, Harry and Tobias one, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was. You know, it's been part of my life uh, all the way through. Um, it was nice to be able to uh, make sure that the club didn't go out of business. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you think back and say, did anything we did help what happened later come? Well, absolutely not directly. But I think it kept us alive at that point. And had we not been kept alive and had to be reconstructed in a lower division or whatever, then I don't think the ties had come in and so that wouldn't have happened. So you take some sort of pleasure from that. Did I enjoy doing the job? No, not really. No, it's a it's a rotten job because uh, the manager always wants at least two new players. That's a constant. The people in the boxes want better sausages or something. The fans all want you to be, to. I mean, they're shouting, at you, get your money out. I mean, if I got my money out, it would buy somebody's little finger for half an hour. You know, it's nonsense. <laughs> One of the funniest things of being around the boardroom, you know, you, you analyse the team's performance. And the, the, the boardroom discussion was exactly the same discussion as I would have with my mates down the pub. <laughs> There's no great insight. <laughs> Well, look, um, we're all incredibly grateful anyway that you guys did step up and, and do what you did um, back then. And of course, also massively grateful that you've uh, given them the time this evening uh, to share all them stories. Um, I, I know that, I mean, I speak for myself and, and the lads, we've really, really enjoyed that. I'm sure all the listeners have done as well. So um, yeah, it's very, very much appreciated, guys. Thank you very much. Bill's in the post. See ya. Cheers. Superb. Superb. That's brilliant. Even even if it's 2 a.m. in Australia for Jack. Even if it's 2 a.m. in Australia, and I've heard all those stories before. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was about to say, <laughs> well, I'm, Jack, glad, I'm glad you boys enjoyed it. Because yeah. you've got, Cheers, got back five or so hours before you're going to have to catch a flight as well, aren't you? Back, no, to, no, the, no. back to the UK. No, I've got a bit more than that. I've got, got a little bit more than that. 11 a.m. at UK time. So I'll get, I'll get a few hours kipped. Don't worry. Um, it's all right. I'm, I'm readjusting news, to UK time. You can't put you, you'll download the podcast for the flight home and listen to it all again. I know, yeah. 
Yeah, chuckle my way home, yeah. Because we look that that has gone on a little bit longer than anticipated, but also at the same time, um, I'm sure you can appreciate why we, we allowed that to, to continue and we, we all still had loads more questions. Uh, we still have still got other bits to talk about on this episode. Um, left to play today. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. You know, we've got other games. Exactly. Uh, Jack, bear in mind, it is, what, quarter to two there in Australia. Do you want to stay with us for the rest of the episode? Do you want to bow out? Uh, I'll, I'll play Who Are, Who are You? Because yeah. I just don't want to lose my lo- uh, winning record. But apart <laughs> from it? that, I'm not gonna, This one's unreal. <laughs> honest. This one's gold. I don't, I don't want to completely ruin the flow, Jake. No, not at all. Come on, let's get this done then. Let's play Who Are You? Come on, man. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Who are you? You. No, not me, you. Yes, I am you. Just answer the damn questions. Who are you? Wait a minute. Who are you? Yes, let's uh, play Who Are You. It's not going to be John Curtis because we've already had that one. And I love that as well, Jack. Your dad mentioning Joe Hamill. The, the name I know, yeah. No one could get yeah. just a few weeks ago um, on the podcast. Well, I don't, it, I don't think he remembered his name. He was just a small Scottish winger, wasn't he? Yeah, but, but it was one of them at the time we, we mentioned, didn't we? That it was that era we had so so many players, and even the chairman can't remember half the ones we had at the time. But anyway, Rick, um, you're in charge today, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's um, yeah late late realization, but not a problem. Easy, easy. This Beautiful. one for me, right winger. Oh, you just get, you're straight in with the with the position. <laughs> yeah, straight in. Yeah. Oh I wow! Only, I'm only going to bother with right wingers if I ever do it. It's right wingers. Right, okay. Mozilla. Nope. Ben Marshall. <laughs> no, 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 no. This no, is no, the no, most. No. This is the most bizarre game. <laughs> Nicky Simovi. <laughs> no. Keith Gillespie. No. <laughs> Given us a year. Who is James your daddy and what does he do? No. <laughs> Right, can I have more than a right winger, please? Yeah, right. Okay, so he was born on the 15th of January, 1976 in Oldham. And his first Academy. club... <laughs> nope. And he, so... So he's about 47. First, he's, he is 47. His first, his first club was Hibernian in Scotland. The same David age Bell. Is, nope. Same age as Darren um, Eady. Yeah, we... Glory is. We played so, against David Bell a few years ago, Jack. Oh, do you? Do you win? Yeah, and he, yeah, we beat him. I think we beat him three 0 and he was like pumped up, like is in like so mostly tattoos been, all over him, yeah, on the winstrel. Mm. <laughs> he, he he played he played briefly for Kings Lynn as well at the end of his career when I was doing local radio back there, and yeah. it was one of them where he was. I think he was only about thirty at the time, but obviously decided, you know professional football couldn't really be bothered too much but was he was still just like levels and levels above even though when he wasn't trying um it's but anyway him. yeah it's not him carry right on, sorry second, not an anecdote okay. time just second trying to keep clue. Jack awake yeah sorry yeah okay so second clue and this yeah. is what this is where it really piqued my interest so he <laughs> he came to us on loan in 2004 2005 Spurs right. scored Spurs scored great okay sorry Rick <laughs> That's all right. He's, he, he got an assist on his debut for us. Is it Kelvin okay. Atuhu? No. Right. Oh four, oh five. That's a bit. Uh, Atuhu was a year or two after that. I'm, I'm rubbish of the years unless you tell me what happened in that okay, season. Okay, so that year was post-Levine. It was post- Don't it was, give him a clue. 
This is literally his job to give us clues. Wait, 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 wait. So he, he got a, an assist on his debut for us, yeah. but he only made two appearances for us on loan. Then, as mm, luck would have it, we re- no, we released him from his loan early. He right. joined a different club, Stoke, right? And on his home debut against us, he got a hat-trick of assists. Oh, wow. Right. And he's a right winger. Were we away at Stoke? Yeah, it was his home debut. So yeah, we was it Mark away. Yeats? Mark Yeats? No, but good, was good it, one. Was it like early in the season? Like he's older first than game? that. No, so, so he was on loan to us at the first part of the season. We he was oh, okay. didn't do he a lot. Three games. He played two games for us. Two games. Got, an, <laughs> got an assist on his debut. And he got three assists against us on his yeah. on his home, home debut, debut for Stoke. Us. Yeah, this is a great one. I love this, Rick. It's not Sean Newton. No, it can't be Sean Newton because we no, signed him there. He is a he's a right winger. And okay, do you want another clue? Yeah, I think I'm going to be really close. Think one more. We got him. We got him on loan, and this is where he made his name from Portsmouth. And actually, when he left us to go back to Portsmouth, then Stoke signed him permanently. And I, I, this is going to be one of those. Stoke, it's like, Portsmouth, oh. Hibs, Leicester. Made his name at Portsmouth. Final clue. Okay. Well, not mm. a final clue, because if you don't get it, I'm going to be <laughs> yeah, you're, enjoy, like, you're enjoying this far too much. The authority in your voice. You've right. just, just got to love right wingers like I do. So, <laughs> he was the first, right? I'm going down to managerial. No, hang on. Where am I going here? Managerial statistics. Here we go. Okay, you ready for it? Mm. I've lost me bit. Where are we going? Right. He's the first. He's the first black, Asian, or minority manager in Scotland for since two thousand and three, who was Marcio Mazzino. Kevin Harper. Yes. again. in again. Home. <laughs> well played, oh. Jack. That's a really good one. Good one from you as well, Rick. Some good clues as well. Him. I'm not sure he was a right winger. I think he was a centre mid, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought he was just a midfielder. Googling yeah. right winger. He, the thing is, back then, it was right <laughs> midfield, wasn't he? he, wasn't, he yeah, wasn't, he could play he anywhere. Was not, yeah, he was, yeah. He, he, was not, yeah, he was okay. not Tete. He was not Tete, was he? He was no. workman-like. He was Josh Lowe. Yeah. Ilk. <laughs> Josh well, Lowe. Josh Lowe would be a good one, wouldn't he? He was terrible. Mm. Just, yeah, well, he was. Just, well, next week. I think we've guessed Josh Lowe before. And it wasn't him. Yeah, no, I mean, I think no. we've, I think we've literally just listed the entirety of the right wingers that played for the club in about a ten-year spell. So I don't think there are any right wingers in that era left. Oh, I bet you there's more. I bet oh. you there's more. Gabor Bori, the Hungarian. Yeah, mm. yeah but that's obvious because you go, he was on loan, Hungarian. You get that really quickly. <laughs> it's one of two, it's isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah, Gabor Bori, yeah. two for one, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh dear. Um, I mean. What do we want to do at this stage? Do I? Um, I'm going to mention this actually. So um, in the week, I I put on social media that this season, so this being our debut season on the podcast, we'd surpassed uh, 10,000 downloads. And so, first of all, I want to say thank you for that. Um, I think that is a lot more and a lot quicker getting to that number than we probably would have ever anticipated. So, really do appreciate that. 
um, and loads of really nice comments. But one of them, um, what made me laugh was the fact that um, he likes how unplanned each episode appears to be, which I took almost a little bit of offence to, but also at the same time, um, he's probably bang on, isn't it? Um, we know what we're talking about, and then we just kind of just just go with it. And we're going to do kind of the live production meeting once again at this point and say, what do we want to do next? Jack, do you want to stay with us? Do we want to bother talking about the next game? Do you want to go back to Manchester United? What do we want to do, lads? Jack. Nothing. Sit in well, silence. It's yeah. directed at Jack, isn't it? <laughs> Any one of you three, really. Um, I'm done with Man United. That, Man United, yeah. what's the point? I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, well, there's no plan before, but after a few beers on a match day, there's even less of a plan. Any, you know, comment on individual performances, don't like to single people out, but there was a few comments in the WhatsApp group about certain players. Kadichi mm. Inacho was really, really average today. But I'm going to go back to what Rick said last week. Um, Rick, can you remember what you said about him? That basically, we need to allow him if he <laughs> if he does if he does play badly. Yes. To, yeah, you're to, right. to, to allow him to have that run. You know, we we've staunchly stood by. You know, Harvey yeah. Barnes if he's if he's had three yeah. or four bad games. You know, we've staunchly stood by the manager. You know, if if he doesn't do and, well. You know, and we, to be we, fair, we can't Jay, now then just say, "Oh, Ian Acho was crap today." When when everyone was crap, or very no, few, no, no. very few were not crap. So I think it is unfair to dig him out. I'm he, not saying he, he played well because obviously he didn't. You know, first but, twenty he did. First twenty well, was they all, they're all okay yeah. for twenty minutes. Yeah, he, I didn't. I didn't think he was very good, but I do agree with you. I was maybe slightly harsh last week. I hadn't had much sleep. Uh, <laughs> still, still not much. Sleep. No, um, but. Uh, you know, actually, the Barnes comparison is quite a good one because I think someone wrote on Twitter that he's an output machine, and yeah, he kind of is actually. So maybe. we do need to well, stick, but the stick, stick, yeah, yeah. Good evening. It was quite, uh, it was quite interesting that they didn't bring Dakar on either, did they? So he's trying to stick with Ian Acho for as long as possible. I know yeah. Vardy came on, but he's trying to. Mm. I think he's giving. Yeah, yeah. And did you I see rumours um, during the week as well of, of a, a move to Galatasaray as well for, for Dakar with the Turkish window being different to this one? I'm not sure if that has now passed and whether there was yeah. that much truth in it or They'd not. They'd offer us 90p and, you know, I know, but I kind of 5% alluded to it. of his way. I kind of alluded to it last week. That I do get the impression that, that Rogers has decided um, that Dakar's not going to be the one. Um, and it will be Ian Acho with Vardy to come off the bench, and then they'll probably recruit someone in the summer. And I do think Dakar will be off. You know, kind of, you know, whether you you think right or wrong, the fact that he hasn't featured at all again in the last few games. Only a few um, games. A few games. See, I know, see I know, but you, you, but today you, you would have thought that Dakar would have come on. You know, the, in, oh, in the last couple yeah, of games, but you know, uh, today all the players had lost their heads yeah. and bringing on some experience it was probably the the right thing to do so mm. i mean in previous games he's brought vardy on probably seeing out the game so i i, I don't know um yeah. I, I would it's like certainly... to think that he'll give dakar another crack of the whip i mean yeah oh, so. speaking like i've had a look at some of his stats this week he's still right up there despite not playing that well so you know i think he's um i think he's worth another go and you know vardy's probably gonna have one more year next year Kel will probably be the main man now. Like I would keep Dakar around and and see because I think there is a player there. But I, I keep saying it. So, so yeah. Speaking, speaking of players that I've backed, Sumare was bang average today, wasn't he? Wow. Mm. I didn't realise he was on for for quite a while, and then well, I don't. Oh, you could Sumare's hear on. you could hear on the cameras they were going. 
Boober, run! And he's yeah. like, he's not yeah. running. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I think everyone's head went, didn't they? Unfortunately, yeah. and it, yeah. But I don't I think, think I... you can come away with, with saying anyone's played particularly well or bad. You know, I think yeah. we've we've said it all, haven't we? Really. I think today was just a bit of a write-off in terms yeah. of the red, the second goal. And, you know, look, the first well, the three games before we took seven points, we all said, and I think every Leicester fan would agree, it's a free hit. Go there, see what yeah, happens. Yeah. First half an hour, we were absolutely fantastic. And if we get a lead in the game, it's, it's a completely different game. So um, I know Jack likes his stats. I saw this one the other day and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. An expected assist. Whatever that means, because that means your strikers are shit. Um, But yeah, yeah, might be. Ianacho should have had an expected assist for Barnes when De Gea made a save to his left. Barnes should have scored that. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great save. It's a good save. It's a good save. save, But Barnes should not give him the opportunity to make the save. It looked looked to me like Barnes didn't have any backlift on it. I thought he was going to pass it into the corner and open himself up like he normally does. But he he didn't really get any purchase on the shot. But it was still a good save. But yeah. for me, like the, the main thing is, I mean, I watched um, Everton yesterday, Everton Leeds. Uh, I know it was a three o'clock kickoff, so I'm not going to admit to how. Um, <laughs> I've watched Villa. Uh, I mean, match of the day, you can't really tell, but Forest looked fucking terrible again and somehow got away with a point. Yeah, they got battered. Um, I, was, I saw that one. Uh, I don't Wolves, know how they got Wolves, a point. Wolves lost at home to Bournemouth. Southampton somehow got a, a win, well, because one man again. Um, but if you look at that first half an hour, I know I've said it all season, but there's absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of relegation for me because we are on, on that first half hour, first half performance. That that side is very very good. Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried, but it, I'm, I'm massively frustrated by the fact that everyone else has, has won um, this yeah, weekend not, down there, and, and similar weekend, happened. A week ago, as as well, you know, we've still got games against Arsenal and Chelsea, and obviously Chelsea with a is a slightly different prospect at the moment. But but regardless, we've got Arsenal and, and Chelsea coming up, so they're not necessarily the games you would would hand pick, are they? Um, so I mean, with, with Arsenal itself, the next one. I mean, I saw the game against Villa at the weekend, and you know they, they did win four two, but I thought they were very lucky, you know, and it was it was two very very late goals, wasn't it? And the, the Jorginho one, which goes off the back of, of Martinez's his head, and then it the, was it was quite funny that Martinez was oh. Like, I, I loved made it. to look I, like an absolute penis. Yeah. No, I've, got a, I've got a bit of a weird shout. So being a father of two young children, I don't know whether <laughs> anyone's ever watched Frozen, right? I'm familiar, but no. Emmy Martinez, have a look. You won't be able to not see it. He looks like Olaf, the snowman from Frozen. Have a look. Honestly, <laughs> especially when he's holding that trophy after he's got the golden glove. Yeah. <laughs> we'll and look. There you go. Have a look. Uh, right, I think we're. Um, I think we're at the end, aren't we, lads? Have we got anything else we want to talk about? No, I think Jack's done for sure. No, and I, I feel I... like we need to let Jack go, get some sleep, and obviously next week's episode, uh, you're going to be back here in the UK, which will be a, a a novelty and such. Yeah, you're not going to be absolutely exhausted. Um, yeah. And I know that I mentioned the back end of last week's pod about Laura Woods. Um, of course, obviously, we decided to to speak to to John and James today. And uh, I hope you, you did enjoy that. I'm, I'm sure you absolutely did. Um, so look, we'll look to get Laura on next week's because uh, she was uh, in the States last week for, for the Super Bowl anyway. So would have been unavailable to, to come on this week. Um, so, yeah, um, lads, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, Jack, please pass on uh, the message to uh, Father Holmes. Um, we'll do. Hon- honestly, was, was, was brilliant. Um, I know the 
the lads, uh, Rick and Jordan, felt the same. It was it was incredibly uh, interesting to hear so many of those stories of you know Lamanga and just the workings, inner workings of a football club. Um, I know you've heard them stories a million times beforehand, but um, yeah, it was great, and I'm sure everyone appreciated it. So yeah, do pass on the thanks. So yeah, next week we'll be back as we look back at the game against Arsenal. So enjoy your week, and we'll speak to you then. Podcast Network.